Welcome to Crime Survivors Speak podcast. My name is Asbot Thomas. I'm the National Director of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. We are now a national network of over 181,000 members from across the country. So we're back with another episode with another amazing member of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. Our guest today is Ms. Yolanda Jennings. She is an advocate from Philadelphia, where she works to support survivors recovering from domestic violence. Since joining CSSJ, Yolanda has been organizing in her community to ensure that people that are on the front lines to violence are working towards safety solutions and expanded access to resources to help survivors, to help families rebuild their lives after violence. So we're excited to talk to you, Yolanda, about your work and all the ideas that you have for supporting survivors, not only in Philadelphia, across the state of Pennsylvania, but also across the country. Welcome, Yolanda. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Let's jump right into it. So Yolanda, you are one of our newest Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice chapter coordinators. So would you begin by telling us about your community uh, in Philadelphia, what you love about it, and also what are some of the challenges the city is facing right now? First of all, I love Philadelphia. It's a very diverse city. I think the fact that it is a sanctuary city and so many people come from across the world um, really makes it interesting. I love that each community has its own unique personality. The biggest challenges, unfortunately, right now, of course, is the gun violence, the opioid epidemic, the homelessness, the high taxes. Yeah, we got a lot of struggles, challenges going on here, but we got a lot of people out here working and we're trying to create change. Thank you for sharing. When I think about Philadelphia, I think about you know, the Rocky movie, right? I, I think about him running up uh, those stairs and, you know, every time he got knocked down, he he bounced back up. Uh, when I think about Philadelphia, I think about someone like Allen Iverson, yes. um, you know, you know, someone who was just amazing on the basketball court. And just like so many thousands of people in Philadelphia, it's the resiliency. Yes. Uh, it's the strength. It's, it's, the, it's the never uh, letting go. It's, it's the fight to continue making the city better. I um, mean, I see that in you as well. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about your background and also your survivor experiences. And if you're comfortable uh, with sharing some of your story, your family's story, you know, what sort of experiences put you on a path to becoming an advocate for uh, survivors of intimate partner violence? I'm actually a survivor. Many crimes have been perpetrated against me, including sexual assault, um, and domestic violence. And for me, with domestic violence, it's been some years, been many years now, thank goodness, that I was able to be delivered from that situation. And after that, one of the things that I remember the most is being ashamed, feeling alone, and just being terrified. And, and I think the alone part really bothered me the most um, not have anybody that I could actually talk to without judgment and so I've pretty much been out here on my own you know if I saw it um, I'm going to be the first one to 
called the police. You know, I've even stepped in. I'm kind of risking my life (laughs) because nobody did that for me. And so I wanted to make sure that somebody else did not have to experience that. Unfortunately, even though there are a couple people who will say that I've saved their life, I was not able to save my only biological sister's life. She was murdered in 2004 in Inglewood, California, and she was stabbed to death by her fiance. After that, I had made a decision that I would work in this field and that I would do all that I can so that my sister's death would not be in vain. And then in 2019, my cousin was also murdered and the father of her three children shot her to death multiple times. It just basically solidified for me what my purpose was. I had never experienced domestic violence prior to that one situation. I was blessed to have good father, grandfather, and it was just one of the most horrific things in my life to just feel trapped and that's what brought me to this path. Thank you for sharing your experience and also just the tragic experience of your sister and your cousin. I want to kind of hear a little bit more from you about your own experiences as a victim of sexual assault and domestic violence. You know, doing this work, Yolanda, across the country, the stories, especially the stories of African-American women who have been victimized, there's, you know, just that consistent theme of not getting any help or services from the justice system or victim services. After your experience uh, of being a, a victim of multiple crimes, what type of support or services were available to you? Mm-hmm. Back then, not many. Not many. And and I honestly can't say that it's that great now. A lot of times people say, oh, there's all these services, but in reality, that's not true. And a lot of women are dying every day from domestic violence. And I feel like a lot of people don't really take it seriously because they say, oh, well, why doesn't she just leave? And they don't realize that 50 to 75 percent of domestic homicides happen after the victim leaves. So it's not simple. It's not as simple as just leaving. Oftentimes they don't have the money or the resources to be able to just leave. When there are children involved, it's even more difficult. I know for myself, it was not that simple. I tried to leave on multiple occasions and he would stalk me. He would find me. He even came to a shelter and I had to be moved. Really, it was only by the grace of God that got me out of that situation because he got arrested on a different charge and was sent to prison. But six years after he got out of prison, I look up and he was at my job. And so it's not that simple. I'm just thankful that I'm still here to talk about it. And I feel an obligation to spread awareness because my life was spared because I could have easily been my sister or my cousin. 
just total neglect of services, right? Total neglect of protection for you um, and so many survivors for your sister and your cousin. You talked about, you know, those were the experience that kind of led you down this new chapter of getting involved uh, in advocacy. At CSSJ, one of our main themes is from healing to action. I'm just curious, you know, how has advocating not only for yourself, but for others helped you on your own healing journey? And how do you see the relationship between healing and activism? I'm going to just be real honest with you. When I started, when I went to my first domestic violence awareness walk, I was actually homeless. I didn't have a job. I felt like a failure as a mother. I just felt like a failure, period. And I needed something positive to not think about my situation at the time. And... To be totally honest, it saved my life. It gave me a purpose. It has allowed me to grow as a person because prior to that, I was very much a quiet, to myself person. I really didn't have a lot of people in my life. I'm still pretty much a loner, but all the people that I'm connected to are people who are really positive and they out here doing positive things and out here doing this work and so it allowed me not to be alone anymore because I could connect with people who had similar interests similar beliefs it just really helped me grow as a person and I really love my life now I really love it that's great to hear and I, and I know you love helping people I know you love working with survivors. And, you know, for people out there who are listening, who have ever felt powerless or victimized at any point in their life, do you think there's a benefit to taking on uh, activism and advocacy work? And how has that continued to personally, you know, ground you in this work of uplifting and empowering other survivors? There are so many things to be gained from being an advocate. So many skills that you develop skills that you didn't even know that you had to be able to share with other people, to know that your story matters, to know that you're not the only one. And when people come up to me and say, thank you so much, you really inspired me, that really, really gets to the core of my heart. And then I'm reminded that I'm doing the right thing. I think it's really important for people to stand up for what they believe in and to be open to sharing their story because you have no idea how many people out there who feel like they're the only one and your story might be that one story that they can identify with. They go like, wow, okay, I'm not the only one. There's not something wrong with me. I'm not alone. So absolutely, I just think that's really important. So if you are a survivor out there or if you have a, a community organization and you want to connect to a network of survivors, especially in Philadelphia or where Yolanda leads our CSSJ Philadelphia chapter, go to our website. Go to our website right now, cssj.org, uh, and become a, a member of Crime Survivor Safety and Justice to connect with other survivors, also to get involved in advocacy um, as well. 
Yolanda, we'd love to talk a little bit more about your work at the community level with the amazing organization there in Philadelphia called the Purple House. So can you tell us a bit about uh, Purple House and how it works to support those recovering from intimate partner violence? Sure. So it's called Purple House Project PA, and it was founded by Christine Joy Brunson. It's not a direct service organization. There are other organizations that deal with providing people with certain types of resources like housing and all that kind of stuff. We take a more holistic approach. Christine likes to be a source of joy because a lot of times when you are in a domestic violence situation, you don't have a lot of joy in your life. And we like to connect people with resources. Like sometimes they need a massage or we come together and eat together and talk together. Sometimes there are other clients who do, like I said, they feel alone. We are able to bring these clients together. We also do educating and talking about red flags and understanding how the system works. One of our things this past year was educating people on the intersection of domestic violence and incarcerated women. And we are currently doing a broad drive because we found out that a lot of those women don't have the luxury of just having a bra. We also know that almost, I believe they said, I think I read it was like 94% of women who are incarcerated have been victims of abuse. And so we educate on these type of things. A couple of years ago, our focus was period poverty because a lot of people didn't understand that there's a lack of just being able to get supplies, you know, on a monthly basis. So these are the type of things that we that we tackle and that we try to help with. We do a lot of collaboration. We have a huge network that we can refer people to. We are connected with Enterprise Rental and we have a connection to a mortgage company. And so these are the kind of things that Purple Project does. We don't have a physical space at this time. That's why it's called Purple House Project. Hopefully we will be able to have that because uh, Christine's vision is to create a one-stop shop where people can come, get therapy, get the things that they need, even you know medical care, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's the big vision. That's amazing just to hear about the, the work of the Purple House Project PA and also the non-traditional services that are being provided in the victim services field. You know, we often think about the services. Obviously, they need counseling. They need help with processing the victim application form. They need housing support. But there's also so many non-traditional ways of helping people heal, as you mentioned, you know, things like getting a massage, right? That's one of the critical components that we offer at Survivor Speak for our survivor members. You talked about breaking bread and eating with folks and providing that peer-to-peer support, which is, you know, often aren't seen as victim services, but they are because they're helping people kill and recover from violence. So how do organizations like the Purple House Project PA bridge the gap between what survivors of violence need versus what kind of support that they may or may not get through the uh, criminal justice system or victim services? 
we collaborate with other organizations and we get referrals of clients. I'm actually the, the director of public relations. I'm on the board of directors. And my job is to get the word out via social media and that kind of thing. So that is how we connect. We do events where we go to community events and uh, provide tables with information. That's awesome. Great to hear. And if you are out there, if you are listening and wanted to get involved in the, or, or even donate uh, resources to the Purple House Project, go to purplehousepro.org. Uh, Yolanda, so you uh, just launched your Christ Virus for Safety and Justice chapter in Philadelphia a few months ago. And I know you have a lot of ideas for building out more safety solutions and opportunities to engage folks in Philadelphia. So we'd love to hear from you. What are some of the ways you would like to expand your crime survivors for safety and justice Philadelphia chapter in your community? One of the ways is I found that once I started doing this, that there are smaller organizations out here that people don't even know about. And so one of the things that I would like to do is to bring these organizations all together. Oftentimes, it's too much competition, and we need to realize that we can serve more people when we serve them together. And there might be some resource that Purple House Project, for instance, might have that if we collaborate, we can do bigger and better things to help the community. So one of my big things has just been going out here, just finding out who has these organizations, reaching out, talking to people individually and trying to bring us all together. I'm not going to say that it's an easy task, but I'm up for the task. And I made some really great connections already so far. And and I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm excited to see the growth of your leadership with Crimes, Fire for Safety and Justice. And I know you were part of the panel at our annual Survivor Speak virtual conference last year and also decided to see the growth of our chapter and our members there and the work that they're doing um, related to community organizing and, and storytelling and, and policy changes. At Crimes for Our Safety Justice, we're getting ready for the 2023 Survivor Speak season. So this year will be your second Survivor Speak event. The first one was last year in Pennsylvania, and that was the first time we actually met at the Survivor Speak Pennsylvania events. You know, what was that uh, experience like for you to participate in Survivor Speak Pennsylvania and bringing hundreds of members to the state capitol? I literally had never heard of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice until like maybe two weeks before Survivors Speak. Purple House Project took on the project of recruiting people, so that was pretty much my job. I was excited immediately, and I believe I went to the first meeting with Jonathan and and Alex, and I was like, oh my goodness. What really I loved about Crime Survivors is the training that we get, how Crime Survivors holds your hand every step of the way. It shows you exactly how to do it, what to say, so that you're not out here feeling like terrified and not knowing what to do or what to say. Then on the trip to Crime Survivors, it was just really exciting. It was, you know, on the bus, getting to meet the ladies that came. And it was just a real camaraderie right from the very beginning. 
And then when, once we got to Harrisburg, seeing all the people, it was like really, really exciting. I think the thing that I loved the most was getting a chance to be a voice and talk to a state representative. I had the pleasure of talking to state representative Wendy Thomas. And that was exciting because I'm like, i never been in the state house before. And it was just an exciting experience. When we stood on the steps of the state capitol and we all came together, it was so, so powerful to support each other. And I had the opportunity to um, stand up for domestic violence victims during the candlelight visual. And all I could say is that it was a surreal experience. Everybody felt like they wanted more. <laughs> like it was over too fast. And I remember us on the bus coming home, I think that probably was the most powerful after survivors speak, coming home on the buses and us coming together and sharing our stories with each other on the way home. And one of the things that I remember the most, was it was a young lady that we had brought with us. She had just gotten out of a domestic situation. She was actually in a shelter at that time. And originally she was at the back of the bus and we were all in the back of the bus talking, but she was in that last seat and she was like all the way like in the corner. But as everybody started sharing, I watched her scoot up a little bit more and scoot up a little bit more and scoot up a little bit more. And then she just starts spilling it. That moment right there, I, I, I can't even tell you, there's no words to describe that moment and if anything, if it was just for that one person, if it was just for that one person to know that she wasn't alone and that her story mattered, it was worth it all. It was really just awesome experience. That's incredible. And it's why we call it Survivor Speak, right? And, you know, it's my first time hearing Yolanda. What is that experience like on the bus, right? You know, you get there the morning, you have that press conference on a, on the Capitol steps, you have that healing visual, that candlelight moment, and then you walk to the back of the Capitol, right? We are uh, having lunch, we're doing legislative visits, right? We're, we're dancing, right? yes. we're celebrating, we're crying, we're yes. hugging. Um, so many different experiences throughout that day. But that was my first time hearing from what it's like on the bus going back home and the types of conversations that survivors have and also the support uh, that you all provide to each other, but also to that young lady as well, who, you know, is on that beginning journey, right, of getting involved in organizing and getting involved in advocacy, because that's part of the healing journey for all of us, right? When I was a survivor, um, you know, my main focus was recovering. Uh, my main focus was healing. Uh, but then I started to wanting to make that change right? and wanted to get involved in advocacy. And so I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, all of the members come back uh, next year and, I, and, and also even more members to get on that bus as well. There was also a young man. He was like 19 years old and he almost got left because... <laughs> 
It was his <laughs> first time at the state house, and he was just like in total awe. And he almost got left because he was so busy just taking in everything. And so it's so many different ways that different people get different things from it. I can't wait. I can't wait to this year. So what are you looking forward to at this year's event? And what do you think becomes possible when we bring together from cities like Philadelphia, those cities that are most impacted by violence? What's possible when we bring people together to create a shared vision of of safety and healing? Well, you know, we got our chant. You know, when survivors speak, change happens. That's what happens. Change happens. It doesn't just happen. We go there for advocacy and to change laws, but people change. And people's perception of where they're at in their journey of healing changes. I think people feel more empowered. And that's what we will continue to grow your leadership, to grow our members' leadership, but most importantly, to make sure that the voices of survivors are at the center of public policy making, to make sure that organizations like Purple House Project get the funding that they need to get that building so they can provide more services to hire more staff. That's why we do this work. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, this work is hard, especially for us as survivors and and working on behalf of other uh, survivors. Self-care is very uh, important for all of us. What inspires you and gives you the most strength to keep working to make change in your community? Are there people you lean on, you know, to bring you some lightness or some laughter on hard days? We'd love to hear more from you about those things. First of all, I just want to say everything I do that I'm connected with is like heavy. In my day job, I um, work in social services and then I do Purple House Project and then Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. And it can become a lot. And so some of the ways that I practice self-care is just taking that time to just be by myself Sometimes I like to just turn everything off, no TV, no nothing, just quiet. I am surrounded by women who work in social services and who are therapists and I can connect with them and and we talk and, you know, we get together and have fun and laugh. My church, you know, going to church And getting my praise on. I often tell people, like, I love going to church, and I'm a praiser, okay? And I'm loud, and that's the only place that I feel like I can go, and I could just get my praise on and holler at the top of my lungs, and people don't think I'm crazy. (laughs) Because sometimes you just need that release, you know? I also had the opportunity... Therapy, I think, is is really important. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've really had some bad experiences with therapy. And I pretty much didn't want anything to do with therapy. But Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice provided me an opportunity to take advantage through um, BetterHelp. And I was able to connect with a therapist and... That really definitely helped because like last year, I had just started this job. It was very overwhelming. 
all the responsibilities that I had were like, it got to a point where it was very overwhelming and I was starting to feel burnt out. And so being able to, you know, talk and get therapy was a really important piece to that. And then, you know, just get out of the city, see a different place, go into a movie or watching Abbott Elementary, you know, to get a good laugh. So those are some of the things that I do. That's awesome. And a lot of great ideas for all of us on, you know, prioritizing our well-being and our self-care and also surrounding yourself with people, you know, who have those similar interests as well. You know, my last question for you. So in Pennsylvania, there's been increased violence in the city, record numbers of homicides in the city. A key priority for crimes for our city in the state is, is, is working to launch a trauma recovery uh, center in Philadelphia, a place where people can go to get the help and support that they need. Just, you know, just would love to hear from you if there was one or even two trauma recovery centers in Philadelphia, what do you think the impact of, of that services would be for survivors and, and communities in Philadelphia? I think it would be major. I feel like one of our big crises is a mental health crisis. And those people have these mental health crises because they've been victimized. They have generational trauma. And so I think that a trauma recovery center would be a really awesome opportunity for people to get some of the help that they're not necessarily given. Like I said, therapy, we keep telling people get therapy, get therapy, get therapy, but therapy costs money and it's expensive and it's hard to find quality therapy. And so I think having a trauma recovery center would really benefit those people who who want the help and need the help, but, you know, it's just not available to them. So let's make it our mission. I know with your leadership, Yolanda, we're going to bring Philadelphia its first trauma recovery centers to help communities and families heal from violence. Uh, Yolanda, it was amazing talking with you today. You know, just thank you so much for your work. Thank you for your passion and for sharing your powerful story with us. If you are out there listening to learn more about the Purple House Project and the work that they do, go to www.purplehouseprojectpa.org. If you want to join Yolanda's Crime Spires for Safety and Justice Philadelphia chapter, uh, you can go to the website at www.cssj.org to join our Pennsylvania and Philadelphia chapter, or if you want to get involved with other chapters across the country or join our email list, you can tune into the Crime Survivor Speak podcast at all streaming platforms. So you can look for us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms. Yolanda, as you said earlier, when survivors speak, change happens. Change happens, yes. And you've been making the change happen. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate you and we're looking forward to your leadership as we work to change laws in Pennsylvania, but also as we bring hundreds of survivors to the state capitol to make sure our voices are at the center of public policy. So thank you so much and thank you all for tuning in to today's episode of the Crime Survivors Week podcast. Talk to you soon.